First of all, Happy New Year. We're going to kick off this year with a series that's titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Prayer. There's nothing more powerful than prayer. There is never a wasted prayer. When we pray, there is power. And when we pray, things change. Either the situation changes or we change. Having said that, for the majority of Christians, prayer is a struggle. Don't feel bad. Don't be like, oh, it's just me. The disciples looked at Jesus and went, hey, can you teach us to pray? (laughs) So if the disciples needed to learn, I think we need to learn. So we're going to kick off this year with this series that what's called Lord Teaches Pray, and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to slowly dissect it over the next four weeks. And here's here's my request: if at all possible, try to make it to all four, because I think you're going to see how all the pieces fit together and what Jesus is trying to do. I also think you're going to walk away from this prayer with a completely different perspective towards it. This is a powerful prayer. When Jesus teaches his disciples to do it, he doesn't just give them a, a, like a formula. You know, we recite the Lord's Prayer all the time, and that's a good thing. I'm not dogging that. But it was not something that he handed to them just to be like, I'm just going to wake up, recite this prayer unknowingly, and not thinking about what I'm doing. No, he wanted them to really think about what they were saying. And so as we dive into it today, we're going to see there's power in this. So read with me from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through four, and it'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 11, verses one through four. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. <laughs> if Jesus prayed, I think we need to pray. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I love that because this is the picture you get. Jesus is off praying, and one of the disciples has kind of been eavesdropping, right? He's been listening, and he's like, oh, I want to pray like that. <laughs> so he's like, Jesus, teach us. Teach us to pray just so John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 Um, It's the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus includes the same prayer once again. This is what he says. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Can we go to Matthew chapter 6? There we go. We there? Okay, there we go. So he goes, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that it is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, notice he's saying that again. Don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for our father knows exactly what you need even before you ask of him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's our prayer. We're going to dive into that over the course of this series. Today we're going to unpack it from the power of perspective, looking at the perspective that Jesus gives us as we pray this prayer. So would you join me in asking God to speak to us today? Father, we come to you.
Jesus, I pray that your word would become alive to us. That as we see this prayer that you taught to your disciples, that God, it would become something that our heart beats and says, Lord, I want that to be a part of my life. Jesus, would you shape us? Would you change us? Would you mold us by the power of your word? And that as we pray that, Lord, we would see things happen that would astound us, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We give you praise in your name. Amen. When I was younger, one of my pet peeves was people that went to bed before midnight on New Year's Day. But last night, I was in bed at 11 o'clock, and I was happy. (laughs) Anybody else? Anybody else um, hugging your pillow before the ball dropped? Okay. That's right. I I remember the kid was like, why would anybody not stay up? And now that I'm like four kids deep, I'm like, you all can stay up. Dad's going to bed. (laughs) I love that. Um, Pet peeves, it's an interesting thing for us to think about. They're things that it provides a perspective on how we view something, right? Like one of my biggest pet peeves is people who drive slow in the left-hand lane. When Indiana changed its laws and you could finally get a ticket for driving slow in the left-hand lane, it was the first time I wanted to write and be like, praise the Lord. This is a law I can get behind. Ticket them all. (laughs) I instantly called my mother-in-law because she drives slow in the left-hand lane and warned her about Indiana. The power of perspective is that perspective really shapes everything. It shapes how we experience something. It shapes how we think about something. It changes how we think about a person, a situation, or an opportunity. What we think about something, as we enter it, it changes how we experience it, doesn't it? Think about like whenever your kids were really young and you were trying to introduce new foods to them, right? Their perspective shaped the experience. I'll I'll give you an example of this. Jason, um, we were introducing him for the first time ever to a pierogi. Do you know what a pierogi is? Okay, good. Um, He was not down for it. He looked at it and he's like, nope. He looked at it and he's like, this is going to be disgusting. This is terrible. There's no way. And like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, dude, you don't understand. It's like, potatoes that's cooked in butter like this is like God's provision in a plate dude like you know this is amazing like you you need to like this and he's his whole mindset and I mean we had it cut up everything was ready to go and I'm like you cannot leave the table till you at least take a bite you have to at least I'm not doing it dad I'm not doing it it's disgusting it's gross I'm like you've not even ever tried it you like french fries it's like close to the same thing and like even as the fork was nearing his face, like his hand's shaking. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you remember that moment with your kids that are just like, I can't do it, you know? <laughs> Until it entered his mouth and his whole face changed. He goes, that was good. <laughs> right? And I was like, I know. I'm like, if you would try this with more stuff, you'd be shocked what you would like. He goes, no, no, this is a one and done thing, Dad. You know? <laughs> But like his perspective on that moment was shaping his experience greatly about it. How we think about a person, a situation, an opportunity directly affects how we experience, how we relate, and also the frequency that we want to experience it. Think of the dentist's office. 
right? Your perspective, some of you going, like, going into it. My daughter went for the longest time, she wanted to be a dentist because when she went, she hated the fact that they gave her shots in her mouth, like to fill a cavity. And she's like, I want to be the person who gives the shots. <laughs> or roller coaster rides. You remember your first roller coaster? When you were terrified, or maybe you're still terrified? His perspective, Jason's, almost kept him from something that now he loves. See, I want you to think about this, is Jesus, he's going to challenge his disciples in regards to their perspective. But before we can get to that, let's look at the request. The request was that the disciples looked and they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Their quest shows us that this is something that we've got to ask. God, teach me. Teach me to pray. I love this. You get, the, you get the idea that the disciples are like, Jesus, we've kind of noticed that when you pray, things happen. <laughs> like, seriously, you pray, you break bread, and then suddenly, like, a little bit of loaves, a little bit of fishes, we fed 5,000 plus. We've heard you pray, and it sounds a little bit different than our own. Jesus, we've listened to the words that you say, and it's, like, different than even, like, our typical perspective. And we long to do and have the same experience that you have, but whenever we pray, you almost get this picture, wrongly so almost, that like the disciples are looking at Jesus and they're like, hey, it seemingly is like you got a formula, so how about you hand off the formula to me? But Jesus doesn't hand off the formula. In fact, he, he starts by telling them, he goes, listen, before I can even get you to what you should be praying, let me show you what you shouldn't be doing. And he shows them, he goes, yeah, you've seen the Gentiles, you've seen the pagan religions, you've seen them, where they, they do this formulaic, they wake up, they do the exact same thing in the exact same way with the exact same words, thinking it's almost like a spell or an incantation. And Jesus is like, nope, doesn't work that way. You're not going to be heard by God by your many, many words and reciting of the exact same things. He goes, that's, that's not what it's about. So don't do that. The other thing we need to learn from this too is the fact that we don't have to have super overly spiritual words and he's like this high and mighty. Have you realized how simple Jesus' prayer is? I love it. Anyone can pray it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins or our debts or our trespasses depending on which <laughs> which version and which, which what type of denomination you grew up in right? You get this beautiful prayer that the king teaches us, and then he's saying to them, I want you to hear the heart of the prayer. Have you ever been around someone that, like, when you've heard them pray, you're like, ooh, I want to pray like that. When I've heard that, it's not because of the words they've used. It's because of the depth of relationship that you've seen. I remember as a kid, uh, I had a, a paper route, you know, back when newspapers were like still a thing. Um, and I, I loved it, but I had to wake up at like three o'clock in the morning every day before school and like the weather, like last week, cause we were in Northeast Ohio. So you'd get lake effect snow. So it'd be easily be like a foot of snow. You'd be tramping through and I'd come downstairs and I would hear my mom praying She'd be right at the, the bottom of the, the stairs in the living room at the couch underneath, and I'd hear her crying out to God 
on behalf of me and my brother and praying for our future spouses, praying for our futures, praying for... And I remembered listening to her words and I remember going, it's almost like she's talking to her best friend. There was a degree of intimacy that was there that I'm like, I want that in my life. I get that impression of the disciples. They're watching Jesus commune with the Father and they're seeing it different like than anybody else ever had. And so they're like, hey, we want to pray to him like you pray to him. There's an intimacy there. There's a degree there. And so Jesus, he starts to bring them in onto this. I think this is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount even challenges them not to use many words or recite formulas. He's saying God is not moved by a cadence or particular words. There's no conjuring or spells. It's about relationship. And so what we see is that the opening of this prayer, Jesus starts with perspectives. We're going to look at two very specific perspectives that we're going to look at today. Praying from the perspective of the relationship that we have. Our Father. But also praying from the perspective of the type or the nature of our Father. Hallowed be your name. Why is this important? The answer is because when we get this part right, it changes everything else. It filters the rest of the prayer. It challenges us. It even challenges how we pray. I I love this illustration. It's by one of my uh, favorite pastors, um, Matt Chandler. What he says is this. He says, when you get the the first part right, you get everything else right. Right? It's kind of like buttoning a shirt. When I woke up this morning and I decided to wear this shirt today, right, um, if I got the first button wrong, we're in trouble, right? Because <laughs> everything else after that, it's going to look wonky. I'm going to walk in there and you're going to be like, something happened with pastor this morning. People, we need to pray. <laughs> Something's not okay, right? Yeah, if I've got it like off kilter and I'm just walking, you know, I'm like, you're going to be like, but it all started with getting the most important thing, the first thing right, wrong. So that's where it starts with this, is we need to understand. Jesus starts with perspectives. The opening of the Lord's Prayer challenges us on two perspectives. To praise Jesus prayed, we have to start with the right perspective. And so let's look at that first one, and it's with the fact that we have a relationship with the Father. Read with me from Psalms 103. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Ephesians chapter 1. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Man, we need to... Can I pause here? This isn't in my notes, but this is for someone today. Some of you have a father wound. What you experienced from your earthly father, you have carried into your relationship with your heavenly father. 
Maybe it was he was cold and harsh. Maybe he was distant, uncaring and not compassionate. Maybe who you were and what you valued were the furthest thing from his mind and he had a specific thing that he wanted you to do or to become. I pause because we have to address that, right? If we're going to talk about God as our father, we have to understand the type of father that he is. I'm a broken father. I'm sinful. I do everything I can to do the best for my kids, but I'm nowhere near like what my father in heaven is. Listen, please hear me to how he is described. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Listen, please hear me today, someone. And it gave him great pleasure. You as his child brings him pleasure. When you walk into his presence, your father is excited to be with you. Maybe your earthly father didn't want to be in your presence, but I tell you something, your heavenly father does. Your heavenly father cares deeply. He has loved you before the creation of the world. Think about that. He loved you before you ever made a single mistake, knowing you were going to make that mistake. And he has used the Holy Spirit to pursue you every moment of your entire life with a reckless, relentless, scandalous type of love that says, I will rest you and redeem you at all the cost to me. You have a good father. I'm blessed. I had a really good dad. I never had to question his love for me. But I understand not everyone in this room had that. And what I want you to understand is that your heavenly father, oh, he loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly even remotely imagine. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how very much our father, what? Loves us. He calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Now, the reason we have to start with this perspective is that Jesus, he shifts something here, and he goes, all right, you're going to start praying. You need to know who you're praying to. You're not praying to some pagan deity that's waiting for you to do 10,000 things to even remotely earn his attention. You're praying to your father. I love this example. I I can't even remember the commentator who wrote it, but the, the point they made is like how scandalous of a relationship we actually have. You think of ancient times, no one had access to the king. You couldn't come into his presence unless he beckoned you. And if you tried to come and he didn't beckon you, you're gone. Remember the story of Esther, right? She's like, I can't go in there until he calls me because if he doesn't call me, this is not going to work out. I'm going to die. But I'll do it. You You didn't do that. No one has access to the king just at a moment's whim, especially at 3 a.m. in the morning, right? Nothing good happens at 3 a.m. in the morning. Can you imagine being woken up by your slumber by a coworker calling you at 3 a.m. going, hey, can you get me a glass of water? Some of you would be like, you are fired right now. Don't even bother coming in today. In ancient times, you come before the king at 3 a.m. and it's like, hey, can you get me a cup of water? Off with your head. How dare you wake up the king? Everyone but one person. The king's son or daughter. 
king's son or daughter could walk into his chambers at 3 a.m. and go, Daddy, can you give me a drink of water? When you pray, my Father in heaven, you start with the perspective that says, I'm going to the one who's a good dad. I'm going to the one who dearly loves me. How very much our Father loves us and he calls me his child. I am his. Jesus goes, when you pray, you pray to your Father in heaven. Let me give you a few quick keys on this. Father, it lets us know that there's an invitation to presence. He longs to come near. Him being our Father is a recognition of his desire to draw near to us. We just celebrated Christmas. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. God came near. Every other religion in the world, listen to me, is based off of you working, trying, doing, earning, striving to somehow earn favor and get an audience with their version of the divine. Do you realize that the God that we serve, when we were his enemies, he came near? It wasn't when you got your stuff together. It wasn't whenever you suddenly showed potential. It wasn't when there was a little spark or promise of maybe they could get something good going with their life. How many of you know God rescued you at your worst? Right? Like there's things in your past that thank God they're in your past because he came through, right? Jesus met you at your worst. He came near, and listen, he still comes near. The opening of the Lord's Prayer is a recognition on our part that God longs for us to desire his presence, the presence of a father. But it's also a realization of his power and wisdom. I want you to think for a moment. Us dads, sometimes we can become a broken record, can't we? There's certain dad things that we say exiting the house. Turn off the lights! <laughs> right? There's certain things that like become in our mantra of doing. Like I remember I asked my kids, I was like, name three things that describe dad. And they're like, you're fun, you're adventurous, and you want things to be clean. And I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm like, that does sound a bit like me. I'm like, what's something that dad always says? Go clean your room. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? That's because it's part of my personality. I want you to think about this for a moment, though. Um, God as our Father is a realization of his power and his wisdom, and it's a longing to turn to that, his power and his wisdom. Father who's you, who is the person you turn to in terrifying moments. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen or um, it was a children's book, and they turned it into a series of movies, but the movie's Jumanji. It's about essentially a board game kids get transported into, and it's like this jungle and stuff like that. And uh, my kids had seen um, the, the old movie with like Robin Williams from like the 1990s, maybe? I don't know. It's old. <laughs> but then we bought the board game, and we we're sitting there getting ready to play Jumanji, and I, w I was dying laughing because um, it's just this little simple board game, and, but my daughter is terrified thinking she's going to get sucked into the game. So my wife has an actual picture of like my daughter agreeing to play to the game, but she's got a hold of dad's arm hanging on for dear life. Like if I'm getting sucked in, he's coming with me. 
right? Like there's this moment of like just like sheer terror of like, oh my goodness, this could be the last day of my life by playing this game. She's convinced, you know, I was dying laughing thinking through that memory, but, but what I loved about that moment is she was willing to face her fear because her father was next to her. She was relying on my power, not on her own power. Oh, do we need to have that with our Father in heaven? <clears throat> when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, he gives me strength. He's saying, I can face any situation this life throws at me. I can have absolutely nothing. Or I can have all my needs met. And neither of those situations differ in the fact that I'm okay because dad's with me. I'm relying on him for his power, for his strength. <clears throat> There's countless conversations that many of us have had with our dad. Moments whenever we've had to glean on their wisdom, on their power and their knowledge. Things that we didn't have at that time. Maybe it was buying your first house or your first car or purchasing insurance for the first time or moving, or the countless other things. I remember for me, whenever I went to remodel my bathroom, I'm like FaceTiming my dad going, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, help a brother out here. I'm like, I need to figure out what's going on. I'm gleaning wisdom from him. Listen to me. We need that with God. Jesus starts by challenging us with thinking of him as father because, again, we need to be invited into his presence, but we also need to realize that he's got power and wisdom beyond us. This prayer is an invitation to both of those to realize that the one we pray has power and wisdom that goes beyond ourselves. So perspective one is our Father in heaven. Perspective number two, though, is may your name be hallowed. We don't really use that word anymore, do we? I mean, think about it. When was the last time you were at work and you are like, you popped out hallowed. <laughs> so I looked up the definition. Here we go. To be made holy, or specifically, to honor something as being holy. To see and view it as being consecrated. To make with my life to declare this thing as sacred and set apart. To revere it greatly. To honor it. Or it says to ask God to let his name be worshipped, exalted, honored, and adored on earth. The Greek word means venerable. To be given great respect because of age, wisdom, and character. That which is separated from profane things and it's dedicated to God. That which is seen as pure. This second perspective is saying, God, may your name be hallowed on earth, but also in my life. So perspective one is saying, God, okay, I understand you're my father. Perspective two is saying, God, I, I want your name to be hallowed. I want you to think with me about understanding the power of a name. Understanding the power of a name. Uh, in ancient times, your name meant something. Like it had a deep meaning to it. In fact, it often could reveal your very nature or your character. In fact, whenever there were significant spiritual moments in Scripture, we often see that someone's name was changed, right? Like, for instance, in the Old Testament, you've got Jacob. Jacob, that's a terrible name to give your kid. Um, in the ancient times, because Jacob met trickster, swindler, deceiver, and manipulator. I know there's some Jacobs in the room. That means you. You're a trickster, swindler, deceiver, and I'm joking. <laughs> this is what I love about it, though. Listen to me. Jacob is the patriarch of one of the Old Testament. 
Jesus uh, meets with him, and he comes face to face with God, and his name changes from that. And I love it because there's this moment because he has to face his past. And so he, he's wrestling with this angel. He's wrestling with God, and God's like, what's your name? And he's like, my name is, my name is Jacob. I know that that's how I've lived my life. And God goes, no, no, your name is now Israel, one who contends with God. I love that because God takes our past and he changes us. It's beautiful. It's powerful. We need to understand the power of a name because when we look at the names of God, if we're going to meet, what does it mean to make his name hallowed, right? Then there's the apostle who was Saul, who's changed to Paul, or Simon, who's changed to Peter. I can tell you something too, the enemy likes to change names too. Whenever they took the people of God into captivity, one of the first things that they would do is they would change their name. They would try to take their name and they would try to change it to fit the, the place in which they lived. To change their names to get them to fit in with their culture. He also tries to change your name and to make you think of what you've done, where you've been. When we look at the names of God, we think of Jireh and Alpha and Omega, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Christ, the Anointed One, Messiah, the God who sees, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, right? We think of these different names. The reason we need to understand the power of a name is I want you to think about what names can do. Names can be descriptors and revealers. They can describe and reveal the very nature, the character, or an aspect of someone's life. Let me give you a quick example of this. Um, we, like Negative Nancy and Silly Sally, right? Someone looks at you and you're being negative work, and they're like, you're, you're Negative Nancy. They're ascribing a label to you to describe what you're doing in that moment. But for the negative, Jesus did this with Peter. He goes, look, you are the rock I'm going to build my church. God's covenant name, Yahweh, was I am. It means I bring into existence whatever exists. I bring it into existence. I am that I am. I am the fullness. I am the fullest. I am the sense that all that you've longed for and created for and have desired, everything you need, everything you treasure, everything you long for, it can only be found in its purest sense and me and me alone. So when God says, I am, notice Jesus in the New Testament, what does he start saying? He goes, I am the bread of life. You need bread every single day, but what you really need is spiritual bread, and it's me. I am the living water. You can't survive three days without water. What you think you need physically, you need that from me spiritually. I'm the breath of life. He says, everything that you need, I am. When we start praying and we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, we're saying, God, I need your name in my mind to be so holy and set apart that I long for everything in you and you alone. Everything I need, everything I treasure can come from you alone because I realize my enemy wants to give me the copycat version. Do you realize that? 
the enemy longs to give out copycat versions. Copycat, less quality. Um, give me, I'm going to give you a couple quick examples of this. Um, I was driving somewhere and I, uh, my, my cell phone cord, I forgot to pack it. So I stopped at a, a really gas station I probably shouldn't have stopped at. Went in there and bought like a $5 cord, right? How long do you think that cord lasted? Two minutes, that's right. <clears throat> I was in desperate need, but I went in, it wasn't the real thing, and I should have known. I went and got it, got it in the car. By the time I had barely plugged in the phone, the entire end of it had snapped off. Right, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I've got to be able to figure out how to do this." Or there's there's times on the internet when you're on Facebook, you get those ads like from like companies that don't really fully exist that are like, "Hey, buy this product from China that's going to ship to you in 17 months." Right, <laughs> but don't worry, it's 2.99 for a brand new entire outfit. Right, <laughs> um, we can do that. Or let me give you the number one copycat thing of all time that's just terrible: turkey bacon. Um, Right? <laughs> it poses as the real thing. It is not the real thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? My, my point is this. is Listen, the enemy likes to try to come in and bring into your life things that he wants you to hallow, to treasure, to see as being worth giving your life to that aren't God. And each one is a mask. It's an attempt to be the real thing, but it's just a poor, cheap imitation. The enemy does this all the time. He longs for us to make holy and honored and treasured in our lives things rather than the sustainer of all things. See, this prayer is a recognition of God's awesomeness. Read with me from John chapter 1. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Let's pause for just a second. Nothing was created except through him. He owns everything. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. Moving to verse 10. <clears throat> he came into the very world he created. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. And even they rejected him, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to what John Piper has to say in regards to this. He says, if you put God's infinitely pure, transcendent being on the balance of a scale on one hand, and all the other beings in the universe, can we actually, yeah, there we go. All the other beings in the universe, all the waters of the ocean, the sands of the desert, the rocks of the mountains, and all the nations of man, and all the galaxies of the universe, and all the demons of hell, and the angels of heaven, on the other side of the scale, all other being goes up like air because God's holiness, his holy name, is the supreme and absolute treasure in the universe and over the universe. All other treasures are nothing by comparison. Let me, let me, don't miss this. That's a good quote, church. John Piper just said, listen, you can take everything that this world has to offer and place it on this side of the scale. Everything that our culture sees as having worth and value and importance. Everything that we race after, everything that we pursue, everything that we want. And he's like, you can load it all up into this side of the scale and then you take the name of God place it on this side. 
And that is like a teeter-totter with me on one end and a baby on the other. He's like, it's nothing. The weight of God is so much more. The invitation at the opening of the Lord's Prayer is for you to realize he is your father and to realize his awesomeness. Oh, church, if we could get this. You know what most Americans' prayers typically generally start with? God, I come before you today. Now let me give you my list of things that I desperately want and need and the ways in which I feel like you haven't been good enough. But I think that if you'd give me these things, then finally I'd be happy. Come on. Am I telling the truth? What does Jesus' prayer start with? My Father, you're the greatest treasure of my heart. You are beyond awesome in my eyes. May your name be kept holy on this earth, but most specifically, may your name be kept holy through my life. May you be the true and greatest treasure that my heart longs for. Listen to me. This is a prayer to reorient our heart around truth and to make God our greatest treasure. As if to say, God, I theologically know and even to a degree understand the greatness of your name, but help me to move it even further and deeper into my heart, that my life would hallow your name, that I would understand in its fullest what it means that you are the greatest treasure of my life. I think of the, that, that story from the New Testament where Jesus goes and he says, do you believe? And the man goes, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Like that, that's how we're starting this prayer with is going, Lord, Lord, I know your name is hallowed, but help my heart, my mind, and my life to even further treasure and hallow your name. See, the whole prayer begins with understanding that he is the greatest treasure. Do you understand treasure? Do you truly understand treasure? Think back to when you were a kid. Like the smallest of things would blow your mind, right? Your grandma would give you a $5 bill and you're like, oh, rich. (laughs) Or you'd hear that sound, right? The ice cream truck coming down the street. Greatest sound ever. And you're suddenly like ripping couch cushions, looking for coin and change, anything that you can to run to it. I remember as a kid being like so excited, like what if there was buried treasure in my backyard? How cool would that be? Jesus tells a story to describe the full weight of the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like treasure that's been buried in a field. The picture Jesus gives is like this guy, he's just minding his own business. He's walking across this field, this field he doesn't own. The field everyone has walked across, and then one day he's just, oh, he stumbles. He's like, what was that? He looks down and he notices something's a little bit different in the ground. He, he starts kind of like moving the rubble and the rocks and he, and he uncovers this treasure, this treasure that is worth more than he could possibly even remotely ever earn like a thousand times over in his life. It'd be like walking across Elon Musk's money. <laughs> right? And you're just like, oh, here's a crate <laughs> full of $100 bills. That's the size of this room, Right? 
And it's just sitting in this field. And he's looking around in the picture you get. He says, like, no one knows it's here. This is mine for the taking. I don't own the field, though, so I can't take it from the field. So what's he do? He goes back to his home, back to everything he owned beforehand. And he's like, I got to sell everything. Everything's got to go. Everything that I own, I got to sell it. I got to do whatever I can to have enough money to buy that field because this isn't worth that. Because if I, can, if I can have enough to get that, that is worth everything I've ever owned in my whole life. So he goes and perch, he sells his home, he sells his possessions, he does everything. And he goes back and with joy beating in his heart, he goes to that farmer and he's like, hey, I want to buy your field. And the guy's like, oh, okay, right? And he goes and he buys it. Why? Because the giving up of those things was not seen as a sacrifice. It was seen as a joy because he knew what was contained in the field. Your king is the treasure. My father, who's in heaven, may your name be hallowed. May you be the treasure that the rest of my life fades into the background, nowhere near the worth, the worthiness of who you are. God, may I treasure you with every part of who I am. Let's unite these two perspectives. Oop, sorry, my microphone's going crazy. Number one, he's our father. There's a longing to be in his presence. A recognition of the power that comes from being in that relationship. There's a desire to be frequently with him. A realization of the wisdom and power that comes from the fact that dad is with us. My father who's in heaven, I need heaven's perspective, God, in my broken earthly one. But I'm uniting him as father to also the fact that his name is hallowed. I'm remembering and realizing he is the creator of everything and he is the sustainer of all things. I'm remembering he is not like me and that's a good thing. He is holy. He is sacred. He is set apart. He is the personification of everything as it's truly supposed to be. I cannot know love, joy, and peace apart from him. And so because of that, God, I'm saying, may in my life and my perspective, you always be kept sacred as my greatest treasure. So we need to allow those perspectives to shape our requests. Do you realize that the rest of the prayer stems from these perspectives? I can't ask for his kingdom come and will to be done if his name's not hallowed. I can't possibly ask that he would empower me to forgive others until I understand what he has done in my life and how he's forgiven me. I can't pray that he would keep me from the evil one and from temptation if I don't understand that he is a father who wants to be right by my side in the midst of it. The requests come from this perspective. They are the lens by which we pray the rest of the prayer. Listen with me one more time to what John Piper says. He says, my one great passion, nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than the purpose of the universe is for hallowing of God's name. 
His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bred sustained life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation escaped for that. The hallowing treasure, cherishing, admiring, loving of God's infinite beauty and worth and greatness, his holiness. So I close this with this. How are you praying? How are you praying? In just a second, we're going to do that very thing. We're going to pray from these two perspectives. Realizing that he is our father and realizing that his name should be kept holy. But how are you praying in your life? You know, here shortly we're going to be starting our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Can I encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer every single one of those 21 days? But not as a quick repetition, quick hey, let me just recite this with no thought or thinking about the words that I'm saying. But maybe start by saying, God, I realize you are my father. And I know you love me. I know I'm dearly loved in your sight that you care for me. Or as Paul would say, I realize that your love for me, it's greater and wider and deeper and longer than I could possibly fathom. God, I realize you're my father. But I also pray that, God, my name, your name would be kept hallowed in my life. God, would you be the greatest treasure of my life? Not the chasing of other things, not the chasing of other people or other relationships. That, God, you would be the greatest aim of my heart. That God, I would realize that the peace and love and joy and everything that I'm looking for in this life, it's in you. That you outweigh everything else. God, would your name be kept hallowed in my heart? Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing this song one final time before we leave. Worthy of it all. But I want us to do it from this new perspective. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second and just, I want you to say a prayer to God as your Father. Would you give Him thanks for the fact that He is a good Father who loves you? Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God that we can come to you with joy knowing that you hear us knowing that you care we don't have to try to earn your attention it's given to us because we're your kids God you are a good father we can trust you we are dearly loved love greater than we can understand and now in your own unique way I want you to pray that God would help you in your life to hallow his name Where have you slipped from seeing God as your treasure? Where have you forgotten the incredible awesomeness that the one who breathes stars into place and calls them by night, by name, he knows every hair on your head and he cares deeply about your life?
Father, would you be the greatest worth and treasure of our lives? God, would you be the thing that our heart treasures above all things? Because you are worthy of it all. And Lord, we pray that today our hearts would align with the very prayer of Jesus. That God, your name would be kept holy and honored in our midst. In your name we pray. Amen.